Thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Looking Glass Darkly with your host, David Skiro. And I have to start off with apologizing for our absence last week. I had my second round of battling the coronavirus uh, recently. Not nearly as bad as the first time I had it a couple years ago. This time it was about for maybe five days max where I felt pretty under weather. But nevertheless, uh, it put me out of commission for a few days. So I appreciate everyone's patience. Uh, there are, from my understanding, some surging going on with as it relates to COVID. Um, not to mention just normal like flu and colds and things of that nature. So be careful this season as you go out and uh, buy presents or go do family functions or travel just keep in mind that beyond covid there's a lot of stuff out there and it's not fun to get it so uh, hopefully everyone has been staying healthy and happy over the last couple weeks my guest today is a good friend of mine. Uh, we met in 2016, as we'll talk about on the podcast. And I've been wanting to have him come on because one of the things that I don't know that we talk enough about on this podcast is uh, the physical side of oneself. We talk a lot about sort of our um, you know, spiritual practices and um, our relationship to technology and our relationship to the, the world at large and, and our mental health and our, our emotional health. But one thing we haven't spent a ton of time with outside of a a couple of guests is really our physical self and specifically the uh how one can test oneself through the art of jiu-jitsu jiu-jitsu brazilian jiu-jitsu specifically is a martial art that i've trained i trained really consistently for about four years and then I took some time off for various reasons, personal reasons, work reasons, etc., and was slowly getting back into it before I had a neck injury, which is mostly healed at this point. So hopefully something that I will be returning to shortly. Um, but I have fallen in love with that sport, and I feel like it offers a lot of value to one. And you see many celebrities get start undertaking jiu-jitsu as sort of a, um, a matter of them staying in shape or a hobby. Keanu Reeves, uh, Tom Hardy, uh, Ed O'Neill, uh, Russell Brand. Um, the list goes on and on and on. Some of these are very high level. Some of these are kind of just starting out. But Uh, In every instance, you almost always find the sort of deeper sort of spiritual connection that people have with uh, when they train jiu-jitsu, which I find very unique to that sport versus or that martial art than some of the more striking-based martial arts that exist, boxing, kickboxing, etc. So my guest today is uh, my friend Chris. He's a brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's an excellent person. He just got married, so mazatov to him. And he was gracious enough to come on the podcast and share his perspectives and his uh, feelings and story as it relates to training Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And perhaps after listening, you might be inspired to take up a class yourself. So without further ado, talking Brazilian jiu-jitsu, brown belt, my friend Chris. Well, first off, dude, I've been wanting to have you on this podcast for a while because uh, for those who don't know, you and I met, what, five years ago now, more or less? Pro- yeah, might be a little longer, maybe, yeah. No, I think it was maybe more. Because it was... Like it was 2016? It, 20, yeah, it would have been 20... Uh, yeah, yeah, I think that's right, 2016, because we met at a jiu-jitsu tournament down mm-hmm. um, in Santa Monica and just by happenstance repaired with each other. And uh, 
and then later, like a lot of those kind of uh, seminars will, uh, they'll, do, they'll have a photographer there or something. And there was a guy there and he took a photo of us practicing. And then I think tagged you or me or both of us or mm-hmm. somehow or another through those photos, we got connected and, and we've been friends since through, you know, like not just in jujitsu, but also going to music concerts together. And I was recently uh, very, very graciously, gracefully, Graciously, thank you. Um, bet, you know, one of your one of your best men at your wedding. Um, congratulations again on thank that. You, you, thank you to you and your beautiful bride. That. But in the in the in the process of thinking about things that I, I just feel like people really don't know enough about, and and maybe try to to illuminate something that is new to people. Um, you're a brown belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Yes. How long have you been training for? Uh, I started training in 2008. I remember okay. my first class was in 2008, so it's been a while. <laughs> and, and see, the jiu-jitsu is one of those things where I feel like people don't really understand it. Mm-hmm. Like, I think even even today, when you consider that to America, Brazilian jiu-jitsu was introduced in the mid-90s, and most people probably know it through... UFC and, mm-hmm. and MMA in general, but specifically the UFC. Um, but I, I always come across people all the time and I'm like, oh, I do a martial art and, and I do jiu-jitsu. Like, oh, cool, like a keto. I'm like, no, it's not anything, anything. like that. Or yeah. it's like, or maybe if you're lucky, though, oh, it's like, like, um, um, uh, what's it? like judo. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, <clears throat> that's closer in some ways, but it, even in that, it's, it's different. I guess just for those who are like brand new, who have no background, like what's jujitsu to you? Well, I think now it's it's nice that over the last maybe like maybe eight to ten years, it's becoming a little bit more popular and more mainstream. To where if somebody says that they train jujitsu, they're probably a little bit more familiar. Mm-hmm. It's not as um, unknown as it was, you know, like back in the day, I guess, like in 2008, if, when I would tell people, like, I just started training jujitsu, they're like, oh, is that like karate? And they kind of like <laughs> yeah. pose or something. So it's nice to see how much it's grown to where people are a little bit more understanding of, or at least know what it is, sort of. Right. Um, and I think that it's most likely due to the popularity of the UFC, right? Yeah. And I feel like Nowadays, in my opinion, I feel like the nogi jujitsu is a little bit more popular than traditional gi jujitsu. Yeah, definitely. I mean, even for me personally, like I've always, I always preferred nogi to to gi the whole time I trained. Um, and there's benefits to both, surely, and and they feed each other. Um, unless you're Gordon Ryan or like a, a crazy like. Um, you know, Gio Martinez or something like that's crazy great at nogi. Like you, they they do they do feed each other, but it's a, mm-hmm. it's essentially it's an art of of combat between two opponents on the ground almost mm-hmm. entirely. Yeah, which is very unique because mo- outside of wrestling, most other martial arts involve striking of some sort. Yeah, and just like the opposite of wrestling, where a wrestler feels uh, comfortable giving a position where his back is exposed in jiu-jitsu, it's the opposite. You don't right. want to do that. But yeah, I've always felt like the gi jiu-jitsu and the no gi jiu-jitsu kind of complement each other. And I, I'm the opposite, where I've always enjoyed the gi jiu-jitsu more than the no gi, although I enjoy them both. Yeah. Um, 
but and I'm one of those people that believe that in order to be good at no gi, you should be good at gi. Yeah. Or vice versa, right? Like they kind of complement each other. They complement each other in that way. But I've always enjoyed the pace of no gi, mm-hmm. but I've always but I've also enjoyed the pace of gi jujitsu where it's almost the same thing but the pace is like far slower. It's a little bit more technical because you're less slippery. There's more grips, mm-hmm. right? Um, but of course, also with how jujitsu has evolved in nogi, there's all kinds of different tricks and angles now, right? Different right. grips, different positions. There's like these little uh, movements that you can do where there's just it's it's kind of one and the same, but different also. Yeah, absolutely. I think like so again, just for to break it down Barney style for those who aren't familiar a gi is the the, the pajamas so to speak it's yeah. the robe traditional it's, kimono it's, uniform it's a, exactly and uh, you know karate has their version of it taekwondo has their version of it in jujitsu though the gi is very important because as Chris said there's so many more because jujitsu is a grip based uh, martial art and, and defense program that that when you're using a gi you just have you're able to use the gi against your opponent as well as as a matter of progressing and for defense. So it becomes extremely important, um, I think, in the, in the fundamentals because you get to learn way more chokes. There's just, there's just way more – there's way more submissions available to you when you're doing gi jiu-jitsu versus no gi jiu-jitsu just by virtue of the fact that you've added an, an element into it. And so sometimes with gi, when you're when you're doing the traditional gi fighting, it, the pace can be much slower because to your point, you're not slippery and you can grip and um, you grip very tightly, in fact, and you can really slow things down in a way that no gi doesn't, necessarily allow because you're usually either wearing no shirt or a very tight like uh, rash guard and shorts and so there's no gripping on the shorts there's no gripping like pants in a kimono you have a the pants you can grip the ankle or the knees you can't do that in no gi and uh, obviously there's no there's no kimono there's no jacket so there's no gripping there so you move very quickly I think for me, the reason I enjoyed it is because when I got into jiu-jitsu, it was probably about five or six years after you did. I'm already in my mid-30s by this point. And so I – and I think that this is just generally a thing with Nogi that you can rely to some degree on athleticism in ways that you really can't in a gi, I find. Like a, a guy who's just generally athletic, if they know nothing really that well and that much about jiu-jitsu – can get into a no a no gi competition with someone who's white or blue belt and and potentially do well based purely on their explosiveness based purely on their ability to like grab a hold and squeeze yeah whereas i think the kimono neutralizes all of that really really quickly Mm -hmm. yeah there's a lot of people i mean i've kind of kept up with uh competition more so uh the last couple years here and there like Mm -hmm. just watching occasional grappling events or just kind of seeing videos on social media and i've seen when i've seen like oh who is this person i don't want to name any names because i'm not too familiar with their careers but i have seen um nogi competitors who have barely started training maybe less than four years five years and they've really moved their way up 
in the ranks. Not to say that they're not technical. I'm sure that they, they are, and I'm sure that they have great teachers and everything. But I know that their early success where they're like, oh, this guy's coming up and he's only been training for six months. I feel a lot of that does have to do with athleticism, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then, of course, the technique comes in later. I'm sure they're extremely talented. They also have most of the ones that I've heard of also have some sort of background in wrestling right. or some sort of martial art. But, yeah, I totally – yeah, it's – And that's not a knock on Nogi because, again, I do no, absolutely prefer it. Not. Because the, the conversely, one could argue that when it comes to a street fight that sometimes competitors that, that – predominantly train in the gi especially if they're trading to like ibjjf like rule sets that are the big federation of competition that then they get into a street fight where you might be going up against someone based on athleticism and things are less clean more scrambles sloppier that your ability to progress through what you're used to with the gi it's you might you might find yourself not having to be able to rely on that and so i think from that standpoint nogi training can absolutely prepare you for like yep. the quick messiness that is a, a real life you know yeah. s- scrabble scrum fight I, you know i agree 100 percent. and ever since nogi became a little bit more popular um during the time when i was heavily training i would always get asked like what did you wh- which one's better like well i feel that they're both equally important yeah. for that reason because let's just say you and i got into a tussle outside we're both wearing t-shirts right now so obviously there's less grip to get hold of right, right. but in the event that something happens outside and you're wearing a coat right. or i have a coat on right well, I mean, with all the years that we've been training, I'm like, great. You just gave me a little bit extra, you know? Right. So even a long sleeve shirt. Yeah. You know, yeah. like the grip of a long sleeve shirt. If you if someone's reaching out to you and you grab that, you can absolutely control their. I mean, sure. If it was a coat, it would be better because it's less stretchy, mm-hmm. right? But absolutely, can use that to your advantage. And even if it's like for a second or two, that second or two where you have control over them that they can't quite shake you free, that could be the difference between getting out of the situation and finding yourself in the yeah. deep end of it defending yourself hurt or leaving unhurt or things could always be be bad but i mean the thing that i love the most about jiu-jitsu is the fact that it's not predominantly based off of strength yeah i mean it's really much just leverage grip and i feel like a lot of the strongest muscle i feel in jiu-jitsu is the mind yeah absolutely i feel like it's the mind because if you're going up against somebody, whether it be in a self-defense scenario or a competition scenario, you could be equally as athletic, uh, maybe the same amount of time training. But if your mind is not there in the position that you're in to either uh, submit or, 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 or not stall, but yeah, I guess stall. Sometimes you have to wait a little bit to get your move. Like maybe the guy will give up a position for you. You wait right. a little bit longer. Um, but that all comes from mind and that comes from experience and knowing when to apply what technique or how to move your hips just a little bit or maybe get an underhook all that is dependent on the mind and without that and without the experience you don't really have much to depend on with with the exception of strength right yeah i know i agree 100 percent because um again i Jiu-jitsu is sometimes called like the gentle art, which I always laugh because there's very little gentle about it. It can be. It can be. But your average gym, there's going to be someone who's going to try to smash you. It's just inevitable. But you're right. It is very much a thinking person's game. There are 
progressions that one can make. There is, if you're serious about this study, I, already, I, ran, I was cleaning up a hard drive and I ran into a video that I'd recorded of me rolling Nogi with a guy that I used to train with a lot who's much bigger than me. But at the time, he probably had 50 pounds on me. We kind of started around the same level, but he was, it was obviously always like a little bit of a step ahead of me. And, um, it was one of those few instances where I caught him. I caught him in a guillotine, which again, for those who might not know, is sort of like a front headlock squeezed, um, to, to choke them, give them a blood choke in that position. But in the early parts of the competition, I'm on both knees and he's on his butt with his legs out. And now even though I haven't trained regularly in a while, especially since I hurt my neck, um, I recognize the flaw in my just my stance. Because being in, a, in sitting on my knees, if you think about the way your knees hinge, they hinge forward. They don't hinge. I mean, they hinge back to a point, to mm-hmm. a seated position, mm-hmm. but they hinge forward far more easily, right? So if he gets a, any kind of grip on me and pulls me forward, I'm going to go that direction. Versus the position that he's in where he's on his butt, legs are in front, feet are not. Now he's got four limbs that he's potentially can attack or control or block me with. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm only providing two. Now as it happened, he went to go grab a leg. I spun out of it. And when he spun out of it, I grabbed his neck and I, and I jumped on it and, and I got him. But that's a rarity. And so it's little things like that where you can go back and you can watch yourself and you can watch your position because it's in the moment, it's really easy to lose track of that. Because in your mind, you look one way and in reality, you look another way and you watch that and you can you can really break down like a football player breaks down or like a coach will break down technique and movement and and just things you could have done that could have helped give you the advantage or or even the advantage perhaps uh the one thing i would add along with the idea of it being more of a thinking person's martial art is uh heart because i think that uh maybe either secondary or or neck and neck with the brain being the most important muscle in jiu-jitsu is your heart. Because unlike other, like I've, I've sparred, I've sparred fighting, right? Kickboxing. <clears throat> and, you know, someone can hit you hard or someone can be hitting you. And, you know, you could go down or you can bite on your, on your, um, bite on your, on your mouthpiece and just start swinging. And I want to take anything away from that. But, in jiu-jitsu, when you're getting smashed, when you've got a guy who's, whose shoulder's bar- being buried into your nose, when you've got someone who's got a, a, a neck crank on you or has you in a position where their knee's on belly, right? It can break you very easily. I, I, I often have liked the idea, I think it was Rogan that sort of presented it, that in jiu-jitsu, you die every time you tap out or you right. surrender. Yeah, You're admitting that your opponent could, if they... If they didn't grant you mercy, could kill you. And you die thousands of times. Mm -hmm. And what I, (laughs) yeah. And what I have found is that the, 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 one of the biggest things that I have taken away, uh, and not to say that it's like, it's, it's providing me with infinite heart because everyone has a breaking point. And depending on the day, it may be further or less far, um, than another day because you could have a, you could be tired that day. You could have gone out the night before. You could have whatever. It's a million reasons why your your spirit will give up. But almost in always instance, the spirit gives up before the body. You know, you're exhausted, or someone just you're frustrated, or you're you just you just know you're whipped, and at some point, your 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 spirit will get broken and you'll you'll tap. Now sometimes that's smart. 
there's definitely don't don't be that kind of like uh uh, blackout before you tap out bitch type person like that's not that's how you get injured a lot yeah but you know this gives you it, it pushes you to the breaking point it, yeah. it pushes you to your limit to see how much you can take and i feel like over the time with experience the amount that you can endure exceeds what it was mm-hmm. before and that all comes from training it comes from experience it comes with going going with people who are more technical than you uh it goes with people who are stronger than you bigger than you um, and that's one of the beautiful things about jujitsu is that it really pushes you to another limit that you didn't know you have. And somebody that, you know, shows up brand new to the gym, white belt, no experience, will probably tap out a million times. But if you go back to that same person, even six months later, their ability to push themselves and resist a choke or a triangle, like now you have technique, right? Now you have, okay, now I know to put the, you know, to uh, grasp the knee and pull it down, right? Mm -hmm. Start crawling onto the other side. So your ability to push yourself to the limit, to the breaking point, quote unquote, or uh, it it really, like you said, like the heart is a big muscle and that heart gets stronger with the more dangerous situations that you put yourself in. Yeah. So I, I, that's, yeah. Well, I was watching a breakdown on Avatar, right? They're talking about the new Avatar movie coming out and uh, they actually had actors act underwater. Like to get the realism, like of, holding their breath, or yeah, holding their breath, okay. like like scuba, like they yeah. all did scuba training. Mm-hmm. I want to say it was Kate Hudson, I think it was. I forget the act. I think it was Kate Hudson, but I, I, the the name of the actress specifically escapes me. But what what did not escape me was the fact that that this particular actress got to the point where she could hold her breath for up to seven minutes at a time. Now you're not just holding your breath; you're acting. acting. And holding your breath and probably treading water for seven minutes. I probably could maybe hold my breath for a minute, a minute and a half if I'm lucky. And, that, and you're probably really pushing it. And I'm probably pushing same, it. Yeah, same I'm here. struggling. So it's very similar like that in jiu-jitsu. So like, With more practice, you get yeah. to see where your limit is and your limit will continue to expand. Or like right? it, You can always tell if someone does jiu-jitsu a lot or trains a lot because they got a thick neck. Because you just you just build that part of yourself up. There's mm-hmm. just like it's almost like building a callus. Right. Like at a certain point, you'll know when it's time to tap and when mm-hmm. it's not. And you, it might be through trial and error, but there will be a part of you that knows, like, oh no, I'm I'm done. Mm-hmm. And that part of you that knows, I got 30 seconds left into me. If I can, if I if I you know bridge now hard, or if I kick my body to the other side, or if I just break this grip, I'm good. And you'll learn that. And you learn where those, like you said, where those thresholds are, where those lines are, where you know where where you're at actually in yeah. in as a as a combative uh, sort of warrior, right? You know where you're where you can get to and where you can't, and yeah. then. In another three months, you look back and you've you you've been you're able to go that much further, you know you're able to endure that much more. Yeah. You know I remember the very first jujitsu competition I did. It was an in-house competition at Gracie Baja, uh, when Alberto Crane um, ran a Gracie Baja school before it became Legacy. And the first time I got tapped out in this competition was an older guy. He's bigger than me, and uh, he had me sort of in a north-south choke. Uh, no, sorry. No, he didn't even have me in a north choke. It was like a triangle choke, but uh, I didn't know at the time. And I tapped because his shoulder was in my nose. It was like not on my nose, but just in front. And I just got claustrophobic and I tapped immediately. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't choking me. Right. In retrospect. Right. 
he was just he was just um he was just making it uncomfortable for me. And it was probably your inexperience 100%. and inability. You haven't been there many times. So when you experience it, you're like, this is awful. Like you said, claustrophobic. I yeah. got to get out of here, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I've been there before. I remember the first, the second intro class that I ever took, I remember being mounted mm -hmm. for uh, just not even like in, in like in a forceful way. I remember like my professor was on top of me mounted and he was just trying to get me to move like yeah. get me off of me and he was pretty much my height my weight right he's not a big guy and just the fact that i could not I, I had no experience right i had only taken like one intro class before maybe like two weeks before and i remember just getting exhausted just trying to get him off of me yeah and and, and i felt the same way more of like i surrender i tap because i could not figure out how to get this 150 pound man off of me and I had no experience and just the fact that I've never been mounted in my life. Right. And he's like, you know, I, you know, you can, you can get elbowed, you can get punched, you can get choked. And if you've never been in that type of position, you'll panic. Yeah, you will panic. And that's where the experience will come in where it's like, okay, now it's a lot different. Now I know to put the hands on the hips, try to push them off, right. get my hips in, replace the guard, get the half guard. Pull his neck down to Something. break his posture. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. And, 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 you know, like it, it doesn't mean that you'll get out of that scenario, especially if you're going up against a black belt who right. has that much more experience yes. on you. But you'll you'll at least know when not when the, when you know you're in trouble, and when you know you're not in trouble. Right. When you know you're like oh shit, and when you know it's like, all right, I can hold a little bit longer and maybe see if I see where they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Like one one thing that I used to do a lot is I would get to mount, and I would go for uh, a cross choke. And when they inevitably reached over with their right hand to pull the crossing arm off, I would transition to a arm bar. Arm bar. And I got pretty good at that because you, I knew... You were baiting them a little bit. Because I was baiting them a little bit. And I was just watching um, a Gordon Ryan interview where... Uh, actually, it was, it was Luke Thomas talking about Gordon Ryan. Luke Thomas is a MMA announcer and broadcaster. And Gordon Ryan is probably, at least currently, the best jiu-jitsu practitioner there is right i mean he's, he's hands down he's the tom brady of it yeah. like me i i would if, if i could invent a time machine and i could get a prime hicks and gracie against gordon ryan i don't know who i'd put money on like it's yeah. that like he's that good i think yeah no I, um but what luke thomas was talking about was that gordon will actually tell people what he's gonna do like he he unveils all his secrets mm -hmm. he's not high he doesn't have a, a secret playbook there's no like you know technique that's like you know um his specifically um he he lets you know what he's gonna do and and the steps that he does it um it reminds me of tom landry the famous coach of the dallas cowboys who say we got three plays it's your job to stop them though and that's kind of how it is with uh gordon ryan is like no one his opponents, he feels like his opponents are too arrogant to read what he has to share and try to learn it. And even if they did, by the time they learned it, he'd already be moved on. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of speaks to the progression that is jujitsu. Like, as if you're serious about it, if you're, and you know, everyone has different levels of, of seriousness that they can provide. Some people are just weekend warriors and some people make a career out of it. But in, in any instance, it is absolutely the kind of martial art that you build upon lessons learned before once you learn what guard is 
Then you can learn how to get a uh, Kimura from guard. You can learn to get a, uh, you can scoop up and get them into a, a um, guillotine from guard. You can sweep them from guard. There's a million things, but you have to know what guard is. Mm -hmm. And once you know what guard is, then you can move to different progressions. And your progression process might be a lot different than mine. Like I loved half guard. I love half. Guard. I love it's my deep, favorite. Position. I love yeah. I love deep half. I don't know what it is. Maybe because we're both shorter compo uh, competitors. But like, it was very easy for me to get locked down on someone. And sorry guys, I'm gonna use different terminology, and I'll try to explain it as I go. Lockdown is essentially when you sort of, if your opponent's on top of you, you lock your feet around one of their feet so that it traps it. Pretty much like ankle to ankle at the bottom, which I've I've seen a lot of people tap just by getting in that position. Yeah. Which is normally either like a stalling position for a little bit or a transition position. Right. Right. You stay there for a little bit while you go for something else like a sweep. Yeah. Or an electric chair or so it's it's a temporary um position um to be in. Yeah. Which will lead to something else. But I've seen people tap I, just by being in that position. I've nearly tapped people with yeah. that. I've had people say, ah, damn, like like yeah. maybe not not want to tap from that, but like because right. I it's one of those things that I I'm not an incredibly naturally athletic person. So for me I find little tricks. And right. that's one of those tricks. Like I if I figure four my feet around someone's ankle in that position, not only do I stop them from progression progressing, which is ultimately my goal. Their mind is on that. Their that mind's on that. And I can squeeze a level of uncomfort. That's, yeah, and yeah. it's frustrating as hell to not get your foot. Just think about like if you've ever gotten your foot stuck in anything, how annoying and frustrating that is. It's like that, but worse because mm -hmm. you're getting pressure applied onto it. And so I found that from that position, it was easier for me to curl up and get myself underneath them almost like so an electric chair would be from that locked position where like let's say i have both of my feet locked around your right foot mm -hmm. i would then scooch my body under your left foot hook my right arm underneath it under the thigh yeah and from there i can either stretch you yes and stretch your groin area yep. or more likely for me i'll just pass yeah. And now or I'm you behind sweep, you. You could sweep in and yeah. up on top. So there's a lot of different positions that you can get to from that position. Right. Which is like a nice place to advance, you know. And um, I noticed that that's one of my favorite positions ever. And shout out Teddy Bravo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I noticed that a lot of um, bigger guys don't don't like that feeling really yeah i don't know if it causes like discomfort like on the legs like on the calves because right. they might be bigger but it's definitely a way to to slow to slow down your opponent and like you were saying like while they're trying to make advancements their concentration is really on that leg right you can't really do much from that position until you get that leg out right you know what i mean like you might be unless you just use a lot of strength and you choke someone i mean there but are you could maybe get an americana from that position but... and you could probably get those positions on someone who's not as experienced right you probably get a, a choke or something like that on a low like a lower ranked belt you might be able to get like a like a darce from that position right but uh i think somebody that has a little bit more experience maybe like a blue belt that's been a blue belt for a couple months or maybe a couple years, they're not going to stay flat on their back in that position. No. So anytime that you're like in the lockdown position, you want to make sure that you're on your side. Yeah. You never, anytime you have half guard, you never want to be flat. Right. You always want to be on. And conversely, the guy in the bottom could in theory get a Kimura from that position. It's yeah. not ideal or easy, but it is possible. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's a lot of things that you can 
that's what I'm saying about the progression and, and everyone's style is different because body type plays a role, yeah. right? Um, me feeling like I am kind of like un, unusually heavy for my frame. I, I've been told that, like I, I, I'm heavier than I look. So I put a lot more pressure than, than perhaps people are expecting from me. So I, I can use that to my advantage and I'm fairly strong, but I'm not a big athletic guy. Mm-hmm. Well, so- I, re- I remember training with you from the, the many times that we, we did train. I remember you having very heavy hips. Yeah. So your side control or any type of control, like your lower body is like the base is good. Yeah. yeah so yeah. I remember that. So I feel like you feel heavier than what you are because you know where to shift your weight. And, you know? and, and you use those little things to your advantage. And yep. the other thing I did is I found really early on that I liked t- attacking ankles, right? So like the leg locks are a thing that in the last 10 or years or so have become very popularized. And I found that it was an under-practiced um, technique in, in most schools. Uh, people jump from like, they either don't ever train leg locks or they jump to heel hooks, mm-hmm. and uh, which is very, very dangerous. And so I found the straight ankle lock to be really quite convenient. Um, as it turns out, my first instructor, Alberto Crane, loves that 50-50 position. Mm-hmm. So I started doing that a lot and I started catching guys, um, you know, because I figured I'm going to end up on the bottom because I'm the smaller guy. So if I'm going to end up on the bottom, what can I do from the bottom? Well, the moment they stand up or, or they prop a foot up, it's there for me and I can at least go for it. Mm-hmm. And then from there, what I found was, well, if I'm, if they know I'm going to go after their legs, then they're going to probably get their legs away from me, which gives me their head. So I'm going to attack their head. Yeah. And so I just would alternate back and forth, either the head or the feet, the head or the feet. Which one are you going to give me? Oh, you're going to give me a hand? Oh, I'm just going to wrist lock you. Yeah. You know, like it, some people consider like those kind of techniques dirty jujitsu. Mm-hmm. I used to hear that. I don't know if it's I, still. I, yeah. I used to hear it all the time too because I'm <clears throat> a big fan of wrist locks. I would right. always go from the wrist lock from any position and it's the same thing. It's just, I just feel like it was like a very ignored attack, right? Right. And I remember like reading like when leg locks first started to become a little bit more popular, uh, like heel hooks, different type of stuff. I remember I think I watched like Dean Lister, who's been using like foot locks for I mean who knows how long, yeah. and he was saying I don't know if it was he, he that said it, but something to the likes of like why would you ignore like fifty percent of the body, right? Right. The legs. Yeah. Right. It was a big no no. Big. It was it was dirty to go to attack the feet. I never felt like that. No. I always felt like. You should you should learn these techniques, right? Like, what if this is all you have one day? Because when you go to train jujitsu, like it's it might be for hobby, but for me, more importantly, it's self defense, right? right? I want to be. I'm not a. I'm not an. I'm not a physically intimidating person. Mm -hmm. So uh, if the time comes where I need to defend myself, I will use whatever I can, right? So if you leave your feet in front of me, I'm gonna break your leg. I'm gonna break your heels. Like whatever, you know. So I, I I never felt that that part should be ignored right yeah. so i was always happy when we learned a position in class that attacked the foot it doesn't matter if it was a straight ankle lock right like that's that's awesome right wrist locks i was always for that i never on the street nothing's dirty you know well, what I not mean? only that but like why is attacking an elbow clean but attacking a joint that's pretty equivalent to the elbow just 12 inches down your arm suddenly dirty yeah you know, why is attacking a knee okay? Uh, a knee bars have been around for a long yep, time. Yep. But then you go for your ankle, which is a more sensitive, quicker 
place and that somehow becomes not okay. Very silly arbitrary rules and I don't know, and one of the things I think about, and I don't know if this is the case, but it seems like some of those techniques kind of came from catch wrestling. Mm -hmm. they, they may not have been part of the initial jujitsu curriculum and if that's the resistance to them that they came from an outside source or maybe they were developed within jujitsu i don't know but i'm i've always wondered why arbitrarily these different positions were seen as some so somehow unmanly or un um gentlemanly to attack when to your point in a fight you, you have know, to defend 100% of your body. In, in whatever manner that you can. You have to defend everything, every part of your body. And if that really is the argument that some people would make, you have to go back to, like, old mixed martial arts fights, right? Or even before that. I mean, heel hooks, mm -hmm. ankle locks. The Japanese use that. Right, You know right. what I mean? So it's like, I, I don't really... I never really agreed with, with that dirty... I mean, it might be dirty. I could see how it's dirty, like how people might complain about it in the gym, right? But it's still something that you should learn. Yeah. In competition, I don't feel... I, I feel like in competition, anything should go. Yeah. You should defend your body 100%, whether it be your ears, your neck, your yeah. arms, whatever it may be. I'm not going to complain because you attacked my foot. And I'm like, wait, I forgot about my foot. Right. You got it. You got me, right? Tap. Like, I, I, don't, I don't believe in that. No, I, I mean, never understood how people would say that that or wrist lock... Is dirty, right? especially because it's actually like a straight ankle lock and a wrist lock are really hard to damage anything. Mm -hmm. They hurt. It's a, a lot. It's like a surprise. It's a temporary. Yeah. But you can sit like I used to, my professor, um, Professor Mark used to be like, "Don't tap out from a heel hook." Not sorry, not from a heel hook. He didn't say that. That would be a bad advice. Your, your life, from a straight ankle, your life would change. Yeah, your life would change forever. No, absolutely, tap out from a heel hook, uh, a straight ankle lock. Yeah, he's like you're gonna. He's like you're gonna be fine. Mm -hmm. It's not gonna break your your Achilles heel. It's gonna stretch you. Mm -hmm. It hurts. Yeah. But unless the guy's like bending your foot in the wrong direction completely, you're yeah. gonna be okay. It's like someone grinding their heel against your thigh, right? Yeah. Like it's like a. It's gonna hurt, right? Yeah. But is it gonna really do anything? No. It's gonna. No. It's you will be sore. And yeah, that's about it. A wrist lock's a little bit more dangerous because a wrist lock you can break the bone, you're in trouble. But usually, when I've seen people tap on wrist locks, like when I've gotten them, it's more of the element of surprise. Yeah, they don't know what hit them. They're like, oh, it's like a quick you response. Yeah, you caught them it's, off guard. Yeah, it's a quick response. Usually, any other type of submission, a guillotine, you'll see it coming. Or if you're if you don't see it coming, you're in it. You could fight it you for could, a bit. You could fight it. An armbar, like the wrist lock, is really one of or the heel hook. Is, pre is pretty much, in my opinion, the the quickest, most surprising submission. Unless you're in 50-50 with someone playing footsies, right. you know that your feet are in danger, so you're a little bit more mindful. But a wrist lock is really a surprise. Yeah. So I don't think that those parts of the body should be ignored. No, and, and I, I don't. And you really don't see a lot of wrist locks in competition. Which is strange. It's very rare. Very rare. I wish there was like some sort of movement where it's like the way that heel hooks just blew up and barambolos and everything right right i never saw that a lot with wrist locks i mean i remember like uh on social media i just know one guy actually two guys who have used wrist locks in um just for I, probably the majority of their career and that's um pete the greek i don't know and then um uh fredson paschal okay yeah, yeah, yeah i mean these guys are like they love wrist locks and I learned a lot from them, you know, right. like I learned a lot from watching their instructionals and the videos that they would post, but don't, 
don't ignore any part of the body. Everything is should be defended. Yeah, I mean that's the point. If it can be attacked, it should be defended. Yeah, exactly. Now, now we we mentioned heel hooks and and heel hooks for people who don't know are kind of like if you for just to break it down really basically, you're twisting someone at the at their heel in the opposite direction and it can absolutely blow your knee out and it can happen very quickly. I was watching a video from some competition somewhere and a guy <clears throat> he got a heel hook and I don't think it was dirty because I think the guy had time to tap. He just didn't. And, you know, a heel hook in particular is one of those is one of those you know maneuvers that it doesn't feel like you're in danger until you're you're going to require surgery. And there's like no middle ground. almost. Yeah. And I think what, what happens with the heel hook, too, if I'm understanding correctly, is that it, it goes up to your knee. Yeah. Right. Like the pressure that's being put on your actual the back of your heel. Yeah. It blows your knee out. It blows your knee out. Yeah. So it's not actually your heel that's being no. hurt. It's it goes up to the ligaments of your knee and it pops. Yeah. ACL so, surgery is very yeah, common. You're out at least six months to a year yeah at, at recovery you know at yeah. least and you probably won't even be the same really right 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 Absolutely. it's dangerous it's yeah. really dangerous and that's why like in gi jiu-jitsu um and anytime that we would uh, there was a couple times where we would train and i'd be wearing gi pants and we'd be i forget my shorts or yeah, something yeah, we'd yeah. train nogi is heel hooks okay and i'd be like yeah let's do it right like so but it's always more dangerous in the gi pants because the friction's there, right? right like in right. no gi. They can grab you more easily. Yeah. Do you... Well, I guess let's start from the beginning. Like, what what drew you to jiu-jitsu? Like, what, what was it... You know, 2008, you, you walk into your first class. Like, what was it that inspired you or drew you in to try that martial art versus, say, a more popular thing like karate or taekwondo or even boxing? I I grew up like maybe like many other people our age where I just like watched a lot of action movies when I was young, right? <laughs> yeah. Like Van Damme and Steven Seagal. And I remember in 2008, years before that, I, I started kind of, I know it was late, but I started catching on. This was like before like Ultimate Fighter and everything was yeah. like on TV, Spike. on Spike. I remember going to, there was a local video store and I would rent all the UFC DVDs. Mm. So I started from the beginning and then I started watching like uh, like Vitor Belfort versus like Tank Abbott and right. just killing everybody. And I remember watching, there was a lot of jujitsu going on and I heard, heard them talk a lot about it. And f for me, probably like, just like any like average Joe who doesn't really know anything, I just, I, I had no idea what they were doing. I just saw them on the ground. Right. They were rolling around on the ground, blah, blah, blah. And then um, I remember one time my, uh, I went to visit my dad and he came back and um, he had told me, hey, um, I went to, I met one of those guys, those, those, those Gracie brothers or whatever. Oh, really? Yeah. It was uh Horian. Okay. And I was, he went to like a business thing and, uh, my dad's in uh, real estate and he's business owner and everything. Um, he went to like this business thing where Horian was like a guest speaker and he was pretty much telling a story of like how he started, you know, his success, right. Based out of a garage, right. right. Entrepreneur. <clears throat> so he I guess invited everyone to come down to his academy in Torrance or whatever. So my dad took me um, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, Gracie's like, you know, I, yeah. I went to go check it out. So that was the first time that I was introduced uh, to jujitsu, like in person. So there was like an intro class and everything. And of course, like they were asking, you know, trying to yeah. have a sign up, which I would have, but I lived so far away <clears> right. that I could have made it there. Um, so it was pretty much just the way that he explained it. 
Um, well, actually, it was Hiron and Henner that, that taught right, the class. Right. But the way that it was explained where it was, it's intended uh, for the smaller man, the weaker man, right? Yeah. Like their grandfather, Helio, was like, what, 120 pounds, something like that? Yeah. Uh, for me, it was just inspiring. It was inspiring that there is a martial art that is not... Um, you can learn to defend yourself and your loved ones and it doesn't have to be based on speed it doesn't have to be based on athletic build strength explosiveness uh, of course those things help right? Right, right but it's it's not the foundation of what this is as far as the techniques these techniques these techniques are for everybody and based off of your body you can modify those techniques and the way right. that they're applied and for me that's what got me yeah. For me, that's what got me. It was just like, no, no practitioner is exactly the same. Right. There are billions of practitioners, which means that there are billions or millions, whatever, of of styles. Yeah. Right. Like we might be similar, but we're not the same. Right. You might apply something, or I might apply something different. Your grip might be a little bit different. Mine might be a little bit lower. Yours might little be higher. Might be a little bit higher. All of that is based off of your body. Yeah. Right. Like I have, I don't have the longest arms. So the way that I adjust to a darts choke is going to be a lot different than someone who has an extra three or four inches on their arms. You right. know? Like, and that's one of the things that I love about jujitsu is that it's based off of your body and, uh, not necessarily physical ability, right? Like strength, yeah. right? It's just mind and yeah, because we've all, we've all been in a competition or training with someone who's bigger than us physically yeah. and easily tap them you know conversely we've probably all been with someone who's like weighs a buck ten and they're just like spitting around all over us uh that's that's kind of the wonderful thing about it is that you can shape it to your strengths it's mm -hmm. a very adaptable martial art uh, when i got into it I too knew about uh, Hoist Gracie and the UFC and all that because I remember renting those DVDs as well and, and watching those videos. But it wasn't until I was getting married the first time. And so I started going to the gym to get in shape for the wedding. And after about nine months in the gym, I was starting to feel real physically strong. And I was like, well, I want to, you know, I'm, I, I'm a big believer that movement begets movement. And so I was thinking, okay, well, I'm gonna, I, I'm, I'm feeling physical now. I'm gonna do this thing that I've always wanted to do, which is, which is, um, learn a martial art. And so, uh, I don't know if it's still around, but remember Groupon? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like, I, I went on Groupon. And I was like, okay, looking at martial arts, and there was Jiu-Jitsu, Gracie Baja, um, in Burbank, and there was a, a Wushu course that was actually uh, training really close to where I live in West Hollywood at the time. So I, I remembered uh, uh, jiu-jitsu from Hoist Gracie, and I think at the time, this would have been around 2013 or so, I think, at the time, I had gotten back into wrestling um, for like this, I don't know, third or fourth time that I've come in and out of pro pro professional wrestling, but CM Punk was very popular at that time, and he trained with Henner Gracie at the Gracie Academy in Torrance whenever he was around. Was this when he was going to do his first MMA fight? Before that, when Before he was still the, with oh, WWE. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. So he was just doing it for fun. He was just doing it for nice. fun. And honestly, we can get to CM Punk. I think there was a lot of people who blew smoke up his ass. No no shade on that guy because I have all the respect in the world for anyone who would be willing to put himself in that position. But I kind of feel like maybe the Gracies were like telling him he was a little bit better than he was, you know, showing him in a really positive light. And, yeah. You know, 
but again, that's all for marketing purposes. Again, no shit against those guys. They're trying to run a business. But for me, as just a fan, I was like, oh, I'm watching these videos with this guy, Henner. It's spelled Renner, but it's pronounced Henner. And he's eating these, like, weird sandwiches with, like, kale and, like, peanut butter. Yeah, and the, like the watermelon juice with the yeah, cream cheese got, and all that. They've got all this wacky fucking lifestyle. that, yeah. And this pro wrestler that I'm a big fan of, he's training with them. And it looks cool, and I like this. So, And then I was like, well... I couldn't find a Jeet Kune Do um, seminar or anything. So the closest I could find to the other person I would look up to, which was be Bruce Lee, would be Wushu. Yeah. So I did both. I, I went and did a Wushu class and I didn't... Re- it was a lot of kata. It was a lot of movement. It was a lot of like st- like poses. It was like very yoga-esque in a way. Do you think that after... So did you did you go to one class of either and then you made a decision yes. based off of that? Yeah. What was it about jujitsu that made you choose that? Was it like the physicality or was yeah, it the environment? It was all of those. Well, okay, yeah, it was all of it really because the, the wushu class was held like in a church, uh, you know, uh, pavilion type place. So, you know, it felt very just sort of pop up. And um, everything was very, very um, position oriented. So it was like, okay, you're in. <coughs> You're in mounted horse. It was very much like yoga. It was like you're in mounted horse. So, like, get used to being in that stance. And, you know, it was a lot of, like, um, it was almost, it was just very, it was very, it was technique, I guess, but it was very um, pose-oriented, almost like a tai chi in a way. And I just didn't connect to it in that same way. And plus, like, being in those poses sucked. I'm not going to be a lie. Like, it, it was being in this mounted horse pose, which is, like, like imagine you're you're sitting in a sumo squat for like an extended period of time. I wasn't a fan, and then you know I went to the jiu-jitsu school and Alberto Crane, uh, my first instructor, is a legit <clears throat> black belt. Mm-hmm. You know there there's there are different degrees of black belt, and and Alberto is one of the OGs, and so he's uh, like one of the first American black belts, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, it was one of the first Americans to train jiu-jitsu, I believe. Like, he went to Brazil when, back when the two belts in jiu-jitsu were white and blue only. Mm. So, like, um, he, you know, he was an OG guy. And, you know, right away we were training with people. And uh, we're rolling. And, and, you know, you get to meet people. And it's, like, very personable. And, like, I don't know. There's a camaraderie that exists within jiu-jitsu. And, you know, every school is different. But they're, they're, almost every school I've been into, people were like, hey, hey, what's your name? Oh, nice to meet you. Yeah, they're hey, very least, outgoing and welcoming. Yeah. yeah. And so that just that drew me in. And then, you know, it was kind of tough because that school is in, in Burbank, which is closer to me now, but further from me then. And so I would try to make that drive back and forth, like after work, and it became a challenge. And so I moved from there to the Hollywood school, which was run by Alberto's, uh, stu- one of B- Alberto's students who was a black belt, Mark Bradford. And I, and I learned there until uh, probably around, hi, Sophie. <laughs> Sophie has decided to make an appearance on our podcast. Come on, Tip Tappy. What do you think about heel hooks? What do you think? I used to do jiu-jitsu with Sophie when she was a younger girl. We're going to have Sophie in the background, folks, so uh, say hello. Uh, but, yeah, I, I when I started training with Mark Squad, I was there probably from – I was probably there from 2014 maybe. I maybe trained a year with Alberto or so, maybe less. And then I was there till about 20 – 2017, 2018 or so. Hi, no, Sophie. I know. Hello. Hi. 
And then, you know, life happens and you get a divorce and you get weird division of friends and, you know, and then, like, there's other elements in, in, in the classroom <clears throat> that can... You, that 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 are beyond the jujitsu instruction. That was always top shelf. There was never a problem with that. But you know, you life occurs, and so you kind of. But for you, like, when you got into jujitsu, when you decided like you were going to try it out, have you stayed with the same school the yeah. whole time? Yeah, I stayed. A lot of the things that I love about jujitsu is like the the loyalty aspect of it right like the lineage aspect like i remember looking at the lineage and understanding what it was and yeah i mean i i stayed uh with the same lineage in the same school up until well, I, I moved recently right and then because of covid i stopped training and everything like that but yeah i mean i stayed with the same instructor for 12 years so. That's that's crazy, and that's the other thing that I think that is very unique about the jujitsu system is that um, other disciplines you can get black belt within two years, yeah, three years max. Uh, in jujitsu, the average is eight to ten. Eight to ten, yeah, or longer. Yeah, or longer, and I know like going back and reading things about like you know black belts that have received them in like five years. Like I think BJ Penn got his in like two or three years. Right. Gordon Ryan had his in like five. But these are guys that have really dedicated their existence to training. Yeah. So, and the, I think the reason why I saw like a breakdown every one time it takes so long is because if you do two to three times per week, uh, times four, times 12, times whatever, it's it's really just hours that you put in and one of the things that's odd about jujitsu is that um, this is something that only like the instructors would know, right? Like your professors, they know the rate of your progression, yeah. right? So we might start at the same time, but you might receive X promotion before me. I might get mine six year, six months later right. or a year later. And then maybe once we're at the same level again, I would progress before you. And right. you're like, wait a minute shouldn't we get it together or shouldn't we get it at the same time or it's just really depends on the person and and like you said like life right like yeah. life gets in the way um schedules get busy you might be able to train a little bit more this month and then you won't be as you know you, you'll be busy for a couple months um but yeah it's it's crazy like yeah. eight to ten years is um the average i'd say or maybe more yeah maybe more because so, life again life gets in the way and life is challenging because, like, for example, I have mates that I started with that are black. Most of my mates I started with are black belts now, or, or a lot of them are. The ones that stuck it out, the ones that were really dedicated um, because I haven't trained regularly in, I mean, I would say honestly probably since 2018, really. I mean, it's been four years since I've trained regularly. Here and there, I'll pop in and... Because of my work, I'm gone for six months at a right. time. It's travel. very difficult for me to, yeah, my tra I travel a lot, so it's difficult for me to have a routine with that kind of stuff. And my routine really did break down once I no longer was working in-house at a production company where I had kind of set hours. But, you know, within four years, most of those people were blue belts or like maybe some of them were purples. And those that were really dedicated, those I, the people whom I know go every day yeah. to jujitsu, uh, or or like at least five times a day, um, and many of them work in some capacity with the school. Yeah, those people totally became black belts because they put that kind of time into it. Right. And 
they stay with the same instructors, either Mark or uh, Alberto, and so they can see that progress. They can yeah. see how they're improving, how they've mastered a skill. <clears throat> and it's not just, I mean, there are exceptions. There are schools that are like this, like there isn't anything, but it's generally not considered a sort of participation award. It's not like a gold watch you get for service done. That can occur, but for the most part, when you hear of someone in jiu-jitsu being a black belt, you're like, oh shit copy that you, you got some skills some version of skills to some degree for you able to get to that point you know whereas when it comes to uh some it's other disciplines also what's that it's deceiving when you see someone and and they have a black belt oh. anyone can have a black belt right like yeah no two people are alike you can you can you, you can see the uh ed o'neill famously has a is a black belt yes. in for a long time yeah exactly. i don't know how often the, the actor ed o'neill al bundy from married with children i don't know how much he still trains right but he's put in his hours though for sure yeah and that muscle memory never mm-hmm. truly goes away i was um just doing some play fighting with our friend nigel you know nothing crazy and i was i surprised myself at the things that i remembered without thinking about it mm-hmm. like just naturally like oh like he's gonna take me to the ground so i know i need to bring my knee up and curl and hook this leg and there's just th- and i again i haven't regularly trained in a few years now so it is absolutely something that becomes ingrained in you because you're putting so many reps because to get to that point you have to put in a lot of time in order to get to the place that deserves that level of recognition and all those hours of muscle memory they are ingrained and it's kind of hard to lose in a way yeah you know i I agree and what i was mentioning about like the the deception of the black belt is that like you can see someone who's like uh like i mean if you look at the meow brothers right like yeah if you see the meow brothers on the street if you see them like with their backpacks and i mean anybody they might pick a fight with them and that's not going to be a good day for them no, you no, know it's, it's like and they're very you know relatively small very uh lean right they're not muscular right and then you you might also have like the heavyweight guys that are black belts, right? right? So it's like you never know who is what, right? And one of the things that I love the most about jujitsu too is that it teaches you a lot about respect. Mm. It teaches you like you you know these techniques and these skills, but you traditionally, hopefully, most people, uh, you don't go out looking for trouble right. because you know these things. These are things that you kind of keep secret to yourself and use them for what's supposed to be for self defense, but that's one of the things that I love is like knowing these techniques in this martial art, you are not um, arrogant about it. If anything, it's more humbling. Because it goes back to that thousand deaths, right? Because we've all been tapped by someone that quote unquote shouldn't have tapped us. Yeah. We've all been tapped by the guy who's like smaller or the guy who's thinner or the less experienced guy. I've had white belts, you know, I'm a blue belt. So I'm like a, a, you know, so I, I know enough. I'm pretty competent, but I haven't started getting into mastery yet, right? But guys who are white belts, who again, you know, just were super athletic, you know, backgrounds, they played football, or they did wrestling, or what have you, and they get in there, and you're just like, fuck this guy. Like, they may not choke you because maybe by that point you've got good enough defense, but they're wearing you out. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm an old guy. I'm in masters like three at this point, <laughs> so like. I don't need to move that fast any longer, you know? And so even even when you get a certain belt, even when you get a certain level of training, there's that part of you that hopefully remembers that, like, looks are, de- are deceptive. Right. You and I, 
neither of us tall, big, imposing people could walk into a bar and maybe I'm a bit more of a loud mouth than you are, but you're the brown belt and I'm the blue belt. And no, how would anyone know? Right. Would, if they assumed that we had any training at all. Right. Right. And, and so, um, because you know that about yourself, hopefully, unless you decide you're really badass, which there are those people. There are a lot of those, unfortunately. Sadly, as jujitsu grows and becomes more popular, you're going to, all kinds are going to get in. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're the ones that haven't been humbled enough, which I'm sure, you know, they go into the right academy or come across the right person. Yeah. They'll, they'll be humbled. Yeah. But, but, but if they've learned their lesson properly, they should know that just because someone looks a certain way, doesn't mean mm-hmm. jack and shit. Like right. I used to love when I would see people like, Oh my God, look how big that guy is. I'm like, and yeah, you know, but conversely that big guy might be a black belt. You never know. Yeah. He may, you know, yeah. he may have training. It's a 50, 50. You have no clue. That's why you really should try to avoid fights if at all possible, because you don't know what they have and, mm-hmm. and you can't presume you know, like, yeah, look, you might be a brown belt in jiu-jitsu, but that guy might be a golden gloves boxer. Yeah. And he's going to have a clear advantage on his feet. Yeah. And you don't know that. I you don't, don't have the that. luxury of knowing <laughs> that. Because if that. you knew that, you could be like, well, I'm going to shoot immediately yeah. and take him to the ground, right? right? And neutralize him. But you don't. Yeah. You don't. All you know is you're at a bar and you've had a couple of drinks. And, you know, I my old professor used to say, like, you know, a couple of drinks can make a white belt out of anyone real fast. Yeah. And you get into a situation, you get into a scrap, and you don't really have any idea what's going to come of it. It's, it is, in many regards a flip of a coin even with training actually with training I would say without training you're going to get fucked almost yeah, inevitably I, I always when I was when I trained I always trained with the thought of in a self-defense scenario I'm going against a black belt yeah because that's absolutely worst case scenario yeah right so if I know how to defend myself or if I know how to attack a, a very experienced person and I can defend myself it's not even about hurting them it's just not hurting me yeah right um, obviously that's not the case in most of the time I imagine but the way that I trained I always trained with that thought and I was always very open to learning techniques whether there be attacking techniques uh, defending techniques and a lot of times too something that I because there are some things in it could be an ego thing, but that kind of exists within jujitsu where, and I've seen it so many times, but I, I myself was never dismissive of learning techniques from lower ranked belts mm-hmm. or learning, oh, well, or if they would ask me, well, why do you grab this way? Why not grab that way? And then we can kind of have a discussion. Well, this way here is stronger than whatever it was. Right. And uh, I've always wanted to learn everything everything for that reason i want to know i want to make sure that in the event that i have to defend myself a loved one a friend or even a stranger right um i want to make sure that i go in there with confidence right and and the knowledge to defend myself or that person and i want to make sure that that is going up against someone who is also Knowledgeable. Does that make right. sense? Yeah, hundred percent. So, because that's the absolute worst case scenario is this person knows how to fight. Yeah, right? and then you're really like, oh, yeah. Then you're because again, then then it becomes okay. Let's say you're going up against a brown belt who's six foot three and two fifty. You're gonna be at a disadvantage, mm-hmm. and so it does it does help 
introduce that humbleness back. Like, okay, I can't assume right. that I'm going to whoop this guy's ass. I need to act as though, how can I end this quickly with as little damage as possible? Mm-hmm. And excuse myself from danger. Mm-hmm. Because it could be danger. Mm-hmm. And there's also like, you know, you have to be tested at anything in live in a live competition, a live action scenario to really know what you're gonna what's gonna happen in those moments. Yeah. Because anyone who's ever been in a fight, your hearing and your vision scientifically become more acute. Mm-hmm. So you literally lose vision and hearing because your body focuses all of its attention on yeah. the source of danger. There's adrenaline, there's lack of uh uh, lack of time like you don't realize yeah. how, how what's going on right? yeah you don't know if it's been two minutes or five seconds right a lot can happen very quickly yeah so yeah i'm with you on that yeah so the, there's all these these physical changes that occur to your body and that's one of the things that i really love about jiu-jitsu because you can simulate it as close as possible uh in in your sparring sessions without incurring a lot of damage whereas yeah. like in boxing or in kickboxing like you can spar light but sparring light's not the same as sparring hard. Right. And your body just moves in different ways. And the moment you get hit in the face the first time, it changes your entire... That's a real true fact. Like Mike, Michael, uh, Mike Tyson once famously said, everyone has a plan until they get hit in the face. Mm-hmm. And it's accurate. Because the first time you get popped in the nose, you're like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. My reach isn't as long as I think it is. Yeah. My technique, my speed is not as fast as I think it is. Whatever it may be, you're like, ah... Yeah, and you can see, like, in a lot of combat sports like boxing or MMA, right? Obviously, I've never done any of these professionally. But you can see as a spectator, like, when you're watching something, you can see as soon as someone gets hit, the level of respect changes. Yeah. You went in there thinking something else. He tagged you one time, and now all of a sudden your posture changes. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden your level changes. All of a sudden your confidence. Like, I've seen it before where, like, you can see something happened to this guy and he just got hit once I can't. Yeah. it actually happened recently i don't remember what fight it was where um somebody got hit and i'm like um man it's i it, it i can't remember it was very recent though you see a lot of leg kicks yeah as yeah. well like a leg kick you know it just sounds what exactly what it sounds like and you're a southpaw now <laughs> yeah suddenly someone you know whacks you once good in the inside of your calf and you, you know you uh, change stance you change your stance like i'm a i fight uh, in a traditional stance, because I'm Are right. You southpaw? Uh, no, I'm a I'm right-handed. Okay. But I s- grew up skating and surfing goofy foot, and I think it's because maybe my stepdad's a southpaw, so maybe like I just learned certain things from him in the wrong way, quote unquote. Yeah. So when I started learning um, kickboxing and Muay Thai, I had to relearn my stance because I wanted to naturally put my right foot forward. But in a traditional stance, if you're right-handed, which is generally your stronger hand you would put your left foot forward and you use your left hand as your jabbing hand or your guard hand um shield and sword right so i i'm a traditional fighter in that manner but um i because i I have a comfort level with being with my right foot forward i can switch to goofy pretty easily and fight from that stance but um you know you don't want to be forced into that you know you don't want your leg to be limping and you have to forcefully change because no matter how naturally it may come to someone or not come to someone or how often you've practiced there's generally a reason why one hand is dominant and the other one's not and very few people are naturally equally as strong 
um, in both stances, right? One there's always one preferable stance to the other, and so that occurs. Like you know, you you start getting you get hit once good, and you're like, oh shit, I'm hurt. Now I've got to change. In jujitsu, sure that can occur as well, but you're not taking impact. You know, obviously something could be stretched too far, but you're not taking impact. And a lot of times, if something doesn't work, you can just say, okay, that's not going to work. I'm going to change my game, and you could still be at a, a fairly even level. Right or or even better. Whereas in fighting, if your reach is short or your speed is short or your power is short, you're ha- you're gonna have to be trickier. <clears throat> yeah. But you're, you're never gonna, have, gonna be on the same level. And you'll have to adjust that. Yeah. With a snap of a finger. Yeah. Whereas with <laughs> there's jiu-jitsu, no timeouts. Whereas with jujitsu, you can be like, oh, this guy's got a good top game. Okay, shit. Okay, I'm a bottom player now. Yeah. And and you could be if you're good at being on the bottom, you'll be fine, right? Yeah. And you could take a little time to realize, okay, this guy's gonna be going for my legs okay i'm gonna adjust and i'm gonna do something else like they're they're just provide you more time to strategize because it is it is i don't want to say more because i don't know those other disciplines well enough to make that claim but it is heavily a, a strategy based martial art do you think that with it, it sounds like it but i i'm gonna ask because i don't want to assume but um during the time that you've trained jujitsu studied it do you feel like that's kind of opened up the doors of wanting to learn other martial other martial arts yeah yeah what's funny because you mentioned that uh, i was thinking of going in this direction which is to say that at this stage is there any real such thing as a singular pure martial art because when i was in australia real recently i was i was talking to my my sister-in-law and um we were discussing Muay Thai and we're talking about a, a, a friend who did like a keto or, or Taekwondo. And, we, you know, you go, you get in that inevitable discussion about like, which is better. Which is better. I, which hate, is, that dis- I and, hate that conversation. And it's, 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 it's a hard conversation to have because um, it really depends on the person. Yeah. Like someone who's great, like Wonder Boy, who's a karate guy, whoop your ass, MMA yeah. fighter. Okay. Lyoto Machida. Yeah. Traditional karate guys, right? Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor. Oftentimes used a lot of karate uh, yeah. stance, at least. Yeah. There were like a lot of... Famous back and forth that he does. Yeah. Like, yeah. Where he hit uh, Aldo. Yeah. That's a karate stance. That 100%. That's, a, that's 100% Lyoto Machida. Yeah. And, and so, uh, yes, there are probably some disciplines that on paper are more practical, but it ultimately comes down to the, the fighter, right? What's in your head? What's in your heart? What's in your... your body mm-hmm. and um but we in the process of that conversation and i was making the point that like you know again to with that caveat in place that probably muay thai is the predominant um stand-up position mm-hmm. um second maybe with boxing a very very close second and uh and then when it comes to groundwork i mean wrestling sambo jiu-jitsu valetudo they're all right there and then really when it comes down to it like the MMA guy, the guy who trains Muay Thai and boxing and jiu-jitsu and wrestling and uh, sambo and whatever, that guy is probably the most trained guy. Yeah, because they're all complementing each other into one. And I've noticed also, too, over the last few years that there's uh, – not that there's less jiu-jitsu academies, but there's more mixed martial arts academies, yeah. right? Like, and I think that's smart. And, yeah, and, and, because that kind of – I mean, you do everything there. Yeah. You're going to hit the bag. You're going to work on your ground game. You're going to learn some kickboxing. Um, me personally, like, I, I want to also, like, venture out and learn these other yeah. martial arts as well because I think that they're all important. 
um, I not not just be like if I had no experience at all and someone had this conversation and said hey look if there was like some sort of graph that showed each martial arts and the effectiveness mm -hmm. or what this you know the, the strategy of each one is I would probably still choose jiu-jitsu as the most effective based off of the person right like yeah. I would look at my like my physical body right like my stature and everything I'd say for me I think this would be the best one right I think I think it's for everybody. I, I do think it's the most effective martial art. Um, and I kind of say it being biased because of... Because that's where your background is. That's my background. And then also because of, you know, like my physical presence, right? Yeah. Like I'm not a physically intimidating person, um, despite what other people say. <laughs> so, uh, But I, I feel like it is because most of the fights, and it's so cliche but they do end up on the ground. Yeah. And I see street fights all the time on social media where I'm in my head, I'm commentating on what I would do if I was the guy. Oh, he's scrambling. Take his back. You know, yeah. like, and you see them like kind of just flopping around. I saw this video the other day where I was actually like, wow, man, that was, you could tell that Michael Jackson in Vegas on oh, yeah. Fremont Street oh, yeah, has yeah. trained some jujitsu. Did you see this video? No, wait, wait, Mike, Michael. Oh, oh, oh. There was a guy dressed I, sorry, up as I Michael you, Jackson. I thought you meant Mike Jackson, the M the UFC fighter. Did you see that video? No. I'll tell you in a no. second, but tell me this one. Okay, so there's this, there's this video, I'll have to find it. And some guys, like, I don't know if he, I don't know how it starts. I, I think the video starts off, at, they're tied up already. But I guess the guy was probably giving... You know how people dress up in Vegas, like characters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyways, you see like Michael Jackson like in like a mounted triangle or something like that. <laughs> Amazing. But I could see what he was doing. So I'm yeah. like, okay, obviously this guy has trained a little bit. Yeah. A little bit, right? Because you could see what he's doing. Well, there's, like, a famous, there's a famous impersonator in Vegas who does Michael Jackson who's been, who does the, rest, the pro wrestling circuit also. Oh, yeah. So I wonder like, if it's the same guy the as that. Moonwalk DDT. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And like, and they say wrestling's not real. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, but um, yeah. I mean, I I feel because a lot of fights end up like that. Yeah, I feel like that is that is um, the most relevant or the most effective martial art. You know. Well, I, the way the way I look at it is this: because I was lucky that as I was training jujitsu regularly, we also um, there was a. Our instructor for a while was was a, a, an affiliate for a very brief while, but was an affiliate of Rufus Sport, and so we used their curriculum to learn uh, kickboxing, mm -hmm. and and so I kind of I didn't learn kickboxing and Muay Thai as much clearly, but I would. You know, usually the classes are back to back. So, like, how much energy do I have that day to do like yeah, to two do hours of training? Right, right, right. But I get the peak of my physical ability. I would definitely do that. And, um, you know, it's it's a different perspective that you have. Hi, Sophie. It's a different perspective that you have when you look at a fight. When you also have some amount of um, kickboxing skills or mm -hmm. stand up skills, because like for me. I always imagine that I have long arms, and I do, but it's mostly what I've found is I have long hands. So I have very big hands, and therefore they add a lot more like, wingspan. Right, right. But in a fight, I'm not fighting at my at my yeah, tippy toes. You're, I'm fighting at like my this. fist. So that takes off a couple inches it, there. I, I, I would say that my four longest inches. finger is four to five inches long, more or less. Yeah. And so I'm I'm taking, let's say, four conservatively, four inches off my reach, yep. which makes my arm very average. Right. Not I don't have dinosaur hands, but, I, but I'm, you know, mm -hmm. I don't have super long reach like a Conor McGregor who looks like he's got like gorilla arms, right? Right. But I, I have pretty strong legs. So I look at a fight and I'm like, okay, how do I get a good 
oblique kick or or leg kick in to throw off their balance and then take them down right i started thinking about things like that because i feel like i could throw a quick oblique kick to someone's knee and distract them and and at the same time move my head away Mm -hmm. so that i avoid a swing at me and then when they're off centered when their head's down when they're when their balance has been broken now i can attack i can attack a guillotine or i can arm drag to their back and trip them and take them down like you start adding those kind of thoughts in your mind yeah. whether or not again in the real in the real mccoy you're able to remember all those things that's where the that's where the 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 practice comes that's when the rounds come in right mm-hmm. but i think that like there really we should really be moving into an era and maybe we are, where it's less about specific disciplines and it's really about combining the best of all the worlds, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the, there are things, you know, like Taekwondo is a perfect example. There are a lot of people, including Joe Rogan, who, who was a state champion, high level Taekwondo fighter, who would say that Taekwondo is kind of bullshit in a real fight. Now, if you're like the kind of guy who's just breaking boards, maybe. And certainly if you're going up against a wrestler, probably. But if you're going against the average Joe and you can throw a strong thrust kick, you'll probably do some damage. Mm-hmm. And you're definitely going to be in a better position than they are. Yeah. And I think there are a lot of people who train martial arts, uh, like mixed martial arts specifically, who will look at that and they'll be like, oh, well, Taekwondo is bullshit, so I'm not going to learn that. But like, if you ever watch Joe Rogan throw a leg, any kind of kick... He'll break you in half. Yeah, I've seen those videos. Yeah, yeah. it's scary. Yeah. Like, he kicks harder than Francis Ngannou, who was a heavyweight, the UFC heavyweight champion in the world, who has one of the strongest punches in the world. Joe Rogan's kick is as is as strong, if not stronger, than Ngannou's punch. Wow. I wouldn't want to be on the end of that. No. You know, like, so that's like... A, I mean, you're intestines will explode man oh yeah they break you yeah they'll break you but that's a technique but those are like techniques specific to taekwondo that you'd learn uh, if you if you're dedicated well those are all beautiful techniques man similar like if you watch any boxing matches yes. where they're throwing like body shots 100%. those are like things of beauty yeah those are those are amazing to watch like one of i love to watch boxing i love to watch like i love floyd mayweather i know yeah. a lot of people like oh he's boring he's this and that but i don't watch him for an exciting fight I love how he fights because yeah. he's so technical well that's why it's called the sweet science because right. it is science it's yeah. like it's, it's such a technical sport and he's one of the few boxers that has taken the least amount of damage I mean I've only seen that I've seen I'm not like this like professional like boxing like aficionado or anything. right but I can remember on two occasions where I saw him get hurt and the first one was when he fought Sugar Shane Mosley right he took a pretty hard punch and I and his leg kind of buckled a little bit and then when he fought um uh Marcos Maidana mm-hmm. the I think it was the first time he he took some pretty good shots and um, but I love to watch him fight because he's so technical. Yeah. I'm into the technical aspect of martial arts. Same thing like when you watch like Muay Thai, right? Like yeah. there's just so much technique involved. I mean, and I remember one time I put on the gloves to box at the academy. Yeah, and I was just like, oh man, I'm I've got speed. I'm gonna hit this guy. I remember they put the timer for two minutes. And I remember after, like, the first 30 seconds, my hands were on, like, I couldn't pick up my hands. People who don't know, like, you put on 12-ounce, 16-ounce gloves, 12-ounce gloves even, like, it it doesn't sound like much. But at two minutes, three-minute rounds. The coach I was going against, he had to be at least maybe eight years older, right? And I'm, like, in my late 30s. 
so he had to, he's like maybe mid 40s so i'm like oh man i i got this man he was lighting me up man oh yeah he was lighting me up because i couldn't even lift up my hands like it's just i mean it's just so technical right that's the that's the thing i love about martial arts is like the technique yeah i i love that well so i wanted to ask you something because and it's actually something that i've I've been i don't know how to answer it myself okay and i know that i just said a few moments ago that i feel that jujitsu is the most effective martial arts of the martial arts and i don't want to say this as a generalization or as a whole but at least from what i've seen and i'm not going to say any names because i don't want to be disrespectful because i just i'm a jujitsu guy at heart but why do you think it is that at least from what you've seen or i've seen that world-class jujitsu champions when they transition to mma they're not for the most part they're not as or, or why i shouldn't ask that i should ask why is jujitsu not as effective in mixed martial arts competition well i is think it because of like so for example like a guy who's trained jujitsu like i mentioned i'm not gonna say any names because i respect everybody but someone that's a five-time world champion ten-time world champion whatever when they make their transition to mma it doesn't necessarily let's just pick on someone easy to pick on let's say dylan dallas okay okay dylan dallas is a very 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 good jujitsu practitioner marcelo garcia black belt he's he's legit <clears throat> he has all the tools He's got size, he's got reach, he's got uh, aggression. He's very, very, very good. Near the top. And he's transitioned into MMA, and he's fought a couple of matches, and he's won. Mm-hmm. He doesn't look like a fighter. Doesn't look like an MMA fighter, let's be honest. He, he beat either one of us up in a heartbeat, right? Yeah. But, you know, he lacks a lot of skills to look like a complete fighter. But, and I, but and why I, do you think that jiu-jitsu is not at the top I don't want to say it's not top level in the UFC of course it is it's a million percent at the top but why isn't jiu-jitsu more like why why aren't the champions jiu-jitsu champions because I think I think what I've noticed if, if jiu-jitsu is the most effective martial art well because I think opinion. I think the problem is that it is um, you know to say that something is the most efficient martial art first off let's look at how we're describing it efficient when i hear efficient i think quick and cons- and conservation can i end something quickly and and expend as little energy as possible now whether or not you can do that with jujitsu i think it's there's an argument for it i think there's a strong argument that you could take someone down and you could subdue them in a manner that is less uh physically exhausting and because you're not exploding probably as much, right? You're not burning those those uh, fine uh, twitch muscles in the same way that you would with a with a proper thrown kick or a punch. And um, certainly if you can render someone unconscious through a choke, that's easier than rendering someone unconscious with a punch. People always seem to think you can knock someone out with one punch. It's very, very challenging. And so I think from that perspective, you're right. It is most efficient. But in the world of fighting, I think that the thing that I've noticed with jiu-jitsu is that uh, people who practice jiu-jitsu are very proud of that. It's a little culty at times. And I think that sometimes we convince ourselves because of how challenging and hard it is, and it is, we tend to fall in love with it and tend to only do that. 
I, I know a lot of jiu-jitsu guys who just train jiu-jitsu. They never train kickboxing or, or, or Muay Thai or boxing or anything. They have no clue how to throw a punch. No clue. They have no clue. Bless you, sir. Bless you. They have no clue how to throw a punch. They have no clue how to throw a kick. They have no clue how to take the guy down. I mean, we've all seen fights, uh, you know, like street fights where someone pulls guard in the middle of a goddamn street fight, which is like the dumbest thing possible. But I, I do think that sometimes we get real myopic about how we train and we don't, a lot of jujitsu guys are like, I'm a jujitsu guy, so that's all I need. Mm-hmm. And then they have piss poor boxing. First is like, I mentioned Conor McGregor earlier, so I'll mention him again. Conor McGregor is not known for his bottom, his, his, his uh, ground game. Yeah. He's better than people give him credit for, but you, you can tell that he has trained his ground game to service his top game, mm-hmm. his standing game. But so, would you say that the guys that he has been submitted by are better? Well, he's only been submitted twice, right? So let's look at the people he's gone up against. He's gone he up against Nate, Nate Diaz, yeah. Whom he fought coming off a staff infection on short notice. And uh, I think Nate exposed him. Because with Conor McGregor, he he doesn't like to be pressured. Mm-hmm. If you look at all the matches he's fought, almost everyone with the exception of, well, in a different way, Khabib, he's been pressured. So in the first Nate fight, Nate pushed him up against the uh, fence and started throwing dirty boxing. And it overwhelmed him. And he shot like a in a desperation move and he yep. got choked out by a legit black belt yep. the, a guy who has tied for the most submissions in all the UFC so like everyone loses to Nate Diaz versus uh, submission if you get in a position where he's going to submit you that's doesn't that's not a I don't think that that inherently says anything about him as a fighter most people lose to Nate Diaz if they're going to lose to him they're going to lose via submission submission mm-hmm Conversely, if they beat Nate Diaz, they're going to beat him by decision. Mm-hmm. Connor's not a go-to-decision guy. Yeah. So the Diaz brothers are like zombies. You're not going to knock him out. And so it was just a bad matchup for him. Nate's a very above-average fighter as a complete act. But, you know, he's a bad matchup. Uh, styles make fights, as they say. Mm-hmm. With Khabib, I mean, Khabib, again, might be the greatest pure grappler of all time in the UFC. So... Again, every literally everyone loses to Khabib. So I don't know that it's like that these guys are better as complete fighters when whatever that means. Right. I mean they won. So yeah. in that from that perspective they were better. Mm-hmm. But I, I just think that in the case of Nate Diaz, he's very average. Yeah. As a fighter. And, Th- and that's it, it's, what I meant a- by better. Like it's it's like um like you know how you mentioned uh Connor's a lot better than what people give him credit for. Yeah, but just like pure jujitsu, like who do you th- you think it would oh. still end up like that? Oh, if they're in a jujitsu match, yeah, Nate Diaz taps him out ten times out of ten. Okay, because what I find in the UFC is a lot of the stand-up fighters, your Darren Till, your Conor McGregor, your <clears throat> Wonder Boy, they all train at least enough ground game, at least enough wrestling and jujitsu to get back up, and and they're. The good fighters are very competent at that. Like, Connor's really hard to keep down, unless you're Khabib. Right. You know, Wonder Boy can get him... It went up against um, uh, the former champion, Tyrone Woodley. And he survived. Wasn't going to out-grapple him. 
Tyrone Woodley's a great wrestler, but he could survive. Most of the strong stand-up guys have dedicated enough time to learning a ground game, predominantly jiu-jitsu, that it allows them in wrestling to get back up. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think a lot of jiu-jitsu guys go into the UFC and they've got shits for a stand-up game. And all they're looking to do is take the guy down. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a bad strategy. Yeah, Like you have Ryan Hall. Ryan Hall's a fantastic jiu-jitsu guy. Mm-hmm. But, like, first thing out the match, he's going to go roll and bear bolo and try to take the guy's... Yeah, yeah he's going to try to take the guy's yeah. uh, legs out. And it's like, yeah, that works until the guy punches you, which happened, like, not that long ago. And it's like, okay, you're very one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. And I think for whatever reason... And I think it's because ultimately a lot of jiu-jitsu schools only teach um, jiu-jitsu. And a lot of jiu-jitsu schools teach IBJJF jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. which is very rule oriented and it's very much different and i think a lot of people just don't get that well-roundedness if they're into a heavy jiu-jitsu school like look we talked about gordon ryan at some point he's going to make the move to mma i presume although time's running out on him he's getting a little bit older i don't think he's i don't my personal opinion i don't think he will i don't think he needs to i think that financially he's gonna keep doing what he's doing and he's just gonna maybe you know and he seems like he's smart with his money investing and you know yeah the way he he's becoming his own empire right yeah his his dvds and everything so i don't if he does i think it'll be just out of boredom because who's there left really for him to beat you know he's pretty much beaten everyone he has but you know he puts himself at a risk by going into mma i don't know what a stand-up game looks like Mm -hmm. um Who's his training partner? Gary Tonin. Mm-hmm. Very average MMA fighter. Mm-hmm. And he was, he, he before Gordon Ryan sort of took that crown, like, he was, Gary Tonin was like the man. Yeah, he won He was like the guy EBI's to be. Yeah, yeah, and for sure. he went to MMA and he's at one, I think, doing whatever he's mm-hmm. doing, mm-hmm. you know? Um, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, Hickson's kid. Cron? Mm-hmm. Cron or Crone? I think it's Crone. Crone? Crone, same thing. Like, He's very average, you know, doesn't look anything spectacular. And see, that's what that's what I mean. Like, what I was asking about, like, why isn't jiu-jitsu at the top, like, in mixed martial arts? Because I want to see that. Like, I remember seeing, and I hate to give names because I don't want because, like I said, I respect everybody. But anytime like, a jiu-jitsu world champion, I, I think the only one that I could really think of that was, like, really was, like, all over, with the, with the exception of, like, Bronx Oliveira, is uh, Jacare. When Jacare transitioned to MMA, man, I was so excited. Yeah. And then there was like Hodger Gracie. Then there was like, uh, th- there's just so many names where it's like, but why wasn't it more? Like, why why, why wasn't their reign longer? You know, like, I, why weren't they on top for I just think they were, too, they were too one-dimensional. I think that's ultimately what it comes down to is that for whatever reason, and maybe this is changing, but... Especially for the, that that era of people, mm-hmm. I think jiu-jitsu taught jiu-jitsu as yeah. the way. Because that's what I wanted to see, and that's what I still want to see. I want to yeah. see just jiu-jitsu at the top, you know? Yeah. Like, I want to see, like, submissions all the time. Like, the champion is, like, high percentage submission wins. He's not knocking anyone out. He's using just pure just jiu-jitsu, and well, that's how he's winning. There's two things I think that factor into that. Number one, like I said earlier, I don't think a lot of those schools teach a Mm well-roundedness i also think they don't teach wrestling and i think the one flaw that jiu-jitsu has is that and it doesn't have it it's there it exists so no one trains it which is you got to get the guy to the ground and and how are we going to do that and how are you going to do that that? like sure if you're ronda yeah ronda rousey would great at judo is a bronze medalist yeah she could use uh, judo trips to take people down and 
Occasionally you see it in MMA, um, but for the most part, if you want to get a good takedown in MMA, you need to know to shoot. You need to know the double leg. You need yeah. another single leg. You need to know or how you to. Got to be clinched already, or you got to be in the clinch already. And then you know, and, and everyone is so good. Yeah. And they're so good at hip control that it's like it's very challenging. So do you think that with the years to come, that jujitsu will be? I mean, it's always going to be important, but do you think it's going to be like on like the side of where it's not not as relevant? Like, the striking will be the most important thing in well, the, wrestling. The, the thing about the striking is that it's very exciting for an audience. And you got to factor that, that in with that UFC. Because when I was just saying I want to see jiu-jitsu on top, that's me making a biased statement, right? Yeah. That's not going to be exciting for a, an occasional fan. No. Maybe for a casual fan or a, um, a consistent fan or someone that actually trains. Yeah. They would love that, right? But for someone who has no idea, it's not going to be. No, I mean, uh, I remember watching years before I got into jiu-jitsu. I, I remember watching um, Iceman Chuck Liddell okay. versus Rampage Jackson. Yeah, I remember. Which, that. ironically, I've worked with both of them on the same movie a few <laughs> years ago. But both lovely, lovely guys and very friendly with one another. Um, hate Tito Ortiz. Chuck Liddell would not work with Tito <laughs> Ortiz, um, but he was fine with Rampage Jackson. But I remember watching that. And I think one, Rampage beat him twice, right? I think he did. Pride and... But, or did Chuck beat him? I don't remember. I know he got knocked out. In that match in that I watched... In the UFC, I know Rampage knocked him out. Iced him. But, no yeah, but I can't remember Pride, though. Yeah, I don't remember either. I know but, they fought. But, but the point of that is I remember like that... I, don't, I only remember that because it ended like in 30 seconds. But the whole... Back in those days, there was a lot more jujitsu, and I remember thinking, like, what do these guys do? As a bo- as as someone who grew up as a boxing fan, like, what are these guys doing? Like hugging on the ground, like, what? What is this? You know, cuddle struggle. Yeah, I didn't understand it. And stand I think, him up, stand him up, just bleed, bro. Like all that jazz. And I so I just think that it's, even to this day, stand up just provides more because it's because it's more sudden. Like when when you're, I mean, obviously there's there's um, especially boxing more than MMA, but like like in boxing, you, if you learn the science, there's a lot of setup to this. There's a lot of build to it. In MMA, a lot of dudes can get by with like a big overhand ride. They're just swinging, you know, and you can get those flash knockouts, those flash hits, and it it's like if a, it's like when a, when a when a football player throws a, a when a quarterback throws like a long reception like it's like it's sudden so it's like exciting right away but with jiu-jitsu it's so slow methodical that you're you know unless you understand like that you know and then i'll just do what they do to to educate people but unless you understand the progress that's being made you don't know until it's like the chokes applied right and so i think that's part of it i think i think what will end up happening is that at we'll stop with these um divisions of technique and i think we're going to start saying what's the best of everything you know i think we're going to take that bruce lee approach of being flexible like to be like water to say those taekwondo kicks are very strong how can i learn to throw a kick like that so that my kicks are strong um Capadera, like their flexibility is off the charts. How do I train that so I have that kind of flexibility and body control? Uh, boxing, those punches, those fades, those fake outs, those are all very strong. Like how do I learn that? Muay Thai, your clinch, your elbows, your knees, your kicks. Like there are all those elements. Like there might be, I'm not sophisticated enough to know this, but there might be difference 
different strengths between Muay Thai and kickboxing, which are very similar disciplines, and you take the best of all those elements, or whatever anyone perceives to be the best of those elements, including Sambo, and re- I mean, like, for the longest time, Jiu-Jitsu was very wrestling-phobic. Um, and then slowly but surely, you started noticing, like, catch wrestling was making its way into jiu-jitsu gyms. Like, cranks were starting to be used. Mm-hmm. Leg locks were starting to be used. Like, like we were talking about Dean Lister earlier. Like, he was at the forefront of a lot of those moves. Yeah. You st- slowly but surely, you start seeing those biases come down. And, okay, now wrestling is pretty well trained in most jiu-jitsu schools. But I, I've never been taught Sambo. Mm-hmm. Like, what's in Sambo? What makes these Dagestanis so damn good at grappling? Yeah. Why aren't we taking more from that? Yeah. Instead of saying, well, we're jiu-jitsu, or we're Sambo, or we're wrestling, or we're catch wrestling, or we're stand-up, or we're whatever. I think at a certain point, and I understand it's different. It's it, I think part of it is that we're, especially in America, we're built with the idea of promotion. And so because all those systems have different ranking systems and different promotional systems, I think that sometimes as a matter of just keeping it simple, a proprietor of a, of a dojo will be like, well, we're a jiu-jitsu school and we're going to rank you through jiu-jitsu. And yeah, we'll teach you these other things, but they're not going to be the main focus. We're going to focus on this. I totally understand that. That's just, like a, that's just a logistical thing, right? And plus, how many masters are out there who know equally boxing, kickboxing, Muay Thai, jiu-jitsu, sambo, wrestling, etc., right? Very few. John Donaher. <laughs> yeah, John Donaher. Well, there, there you go. And, <clears throat> excuse me, Hanzo Gracie. Yeah. <clears throat> so th- there are those people out there, but they're very rare themselves. And so I think what will happen is, because you got you to gotta recognize that like UFC has only been at its height of popularity for about, what, 15, 15 years? 15 years, yeah. That's, you know, so there's going to be those guys who come out of competition because you could stay fighting for 10 years, more or less. They're going to start coming out of competition. They're going to start opening up their schools. And some of them, I think, will open them up as MMA gyms, not as jiu-jitsu dojos. And I think that that will be where the puck goes eventually. Um, it's just a matter of what is the purpose. And it, it becomes down to marketing. Like jiu-jitsu, like anything else, is a business. And um, it leans into the aspects of the traits and qualities that help it identify itself separate from something else. Like one thing I've noticed, I don't know if you've noticed it in jujitsu gyms and in MMA gyms in general is like they lean conservative. They lean very alpha male esque in mindset, which is bullshit. (coughs) They, they uh, tend to be, I noticed a lot of jiu-jitsu schools here in Los Angeles that were very anti-vax, very anti-all that jazz. Like, they kept a lot of schools, not going to name names, stayed open right through the pandemic, never shut down, low-key, just kept having people train. So, like, it's a certain mindset there. Other gyms might have different mindsets. But because jiu-jitsu has what it has, and because Joe Rogan is one of the most popular jiu-jitsu people around... And secondary to him might be what Eddie Bravo, whom he got his black belt from, um, and probably because of Joe Rogan's platform. So you've got like in terms of uh, notoriety amongst people who don't practice jujitsu kind of caters is kind of focused through Joe Rogan. And therefore, it tends to draw in 
people who also would watch the Joe Rogan podcast, mm-hmm. and they kind of corner a certain mindset and thought processes and culture and lifestyle. And through that, that's kind of where they stay because they want to be popular in market, right? You're not going to see, uh, and I'm a vegan, so I'm just not making any judgment call, but like, you're not going to see like soy boy jujitsu, right? They, it's not going to draw anyone in. You're going to see like, I don't know, big dick jujitsu or some bullshit like that, like aggro meathead bullshit, because that's what a lot of the people that train are like. You know, this is to be true, right? There's a lot of fucking meatheads that get into because they got into because they got into jujitsu probably from UFC. What would the logo look like for that? Just a big fucking throbbing gristle, you know, just big old for BDJJ. It's just gonna be it's gonna be a big cock with a black belt tied around it, just veiny, veiny as shit. Like it's gonna look like I know I know. Bass Rutten's like a kickboxing guy, but it's gonna look like Bass Rutten's head, you know, or like Vinny, uh, what's the fuck his name? Vinny Magdalena's, like his big old bald head, just vain, like roided to shit, because all those Jesus guys are on roids, like roided to shit, but just a black belt hanging off, you know. It's, there's, there's just, it, it just has an identity, because it has an identity, it, I, and it's gonna be limited by that, and I think, and I understand it because you're trying to you're trying to start a business, so you're just going for the thing that is gonna draw the most people. And because, like I said, jujitsu is known through Joe Rogan and through the UFC, which is in, in and of itself where Joe Rogan comes from, it, it appeals to a certain type of person, and so it's going to it's gonna try to adapt as many of those qualities as is attractive to the most amount of customers who are willing to come in and be part of your service. And there are very few gyms that are going to break that mold. Like my old gym was very cool. Not a lot of aggro guys there, surprisingly. You know, a lot of like real diverse amount of people, architects, filmmakers, teachers, nurses, like we had all kinds of, of folks of all different lifestyles. And no, the really, the, the culture of our particular gym kind of weeded out those meatheads. There just wasn't a lot there. But we were in many regards, as talented as the jiu-jitsu <clears throat> practice were, we were kind of a weekend warrior school. Most everyone was professionals. Some people competed and some people competed seriously, but very few people like, you know, most of us were older, like it was an older gym. And so, you know, we had the kind of diversity in way, and, and, you know, I'm not saying Mark's like a super liberal dude, but like, you know, he invited like yoga, a yoga teacher to come in and like after classes teach yoga twice a week, right? Because he, he knew the benefits of that flexibility, right? Right. Um, when we, on top of sort of being Rufus Sport Affiliate for a while, there was a, another school, something Warrior, I forget what it's called, but they were, they were a separate Muay Thai Academy that he allowed to train in the same building. And, you know, there was cross promotion because those guys would train jiu-jitsu, we would train with them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, all that's to point out is that in order for it to grow, in order for jiu-jitsu to become a little bit more dominant, I think that it needs to be more open to teaching everything. Because I think that if fighters were better trained in all aspects of the game, then they would be able to transition into like 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 Charles Oliveira, very good fighter, stand up and on the ground. Obviously, yeah. his strength is on the ground, but one of the reasons why he's he's so good at getting to the ground is because he's good at standing. Yeah, and uh, you know the Jacare he wasn't. He was gonna go try to get your back. You know that just that's just the way they were, and I think that uh, it's it's a twofold thing. On the one hand, 
as jujitsu schools open up their the broadness of what they teach and the technique that they teach and breaking away from strictly jujitsu which is challenging because it's hard to market when you're kind of the master or you know the jack of all trades master of none as they open up i think the fighters that they develop are going to be more well-rounded and therefore they're going to have they're going to be able to lean into their speciality with more um, confidence and domination because there will be setting setting up things in the same way that uh, Conor McGregor was dominant for so long in stand up because his ground game fed his stand up. I think that at some point people will learn to use stand up to feed their ground game in a better way than we currently see, and then that popularity rise. And we're seeing it with the Dagestani's and Sambo. They're not training jiu jitsu. But they're doing all the things you're asking for submissions takedowns like they're doing that but they've got decent stand-up games yeah and their stand-up games feed their their ground games and so i and that's what we need to do and um but conversely then you must ask yourself if schools start training everything are they jujitsu schools anymore or are they just mma schools at the end of the day you know yeah it's hard to say yeah it, you know, I, I think would, I would just like to see that. I would just like to see that more at the top. And I know, like, the more recent years, like I know, like I remember, like, uh, like uh, Durinho, super successful in the UFC. Mackenzie mm-hmm. Dern, super successful. Like these are all people that I used to. I see. I mean, she's like, decently successful. I wouldn't say she's, she's not a champion, well, but she's done. She's done pretty well. Yeah, but it, she's she's also like a multiple time world champion. And this, right. these are like names that I've seen uh, prior to MMA, like. At Worlds in Long Beach, you know, like yeah. you could just walk by with your acai and they're right there. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So it's it's kind of cool to see that, and I, I would I would like that in the future. Like I, I want to see jujitsu at the top. You know. Yeah. Like, well, I think um, the UFC has a pretty strict uh, doping policy, and that might hinder some of the top jujitsu guys from competing in the UFC at the level that they compete at, because it's like it's a, it's a un, it's the worst kept secret in the world that like all the top jujitsu guys are juiced the fucking gills. Like just juice them. They're fucking the IC bowl. The IC uh, uh, acai bowl is just filled with fucking syringes of juice. So that's that's an issue. You gotta overcome that. That's why none of these guys want to go to 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 fight or they go fight in Europe because they're all juice the gills. Which I'm not saying UFC fighters aren't, but like they do have pretty strict testing. Right. And I think that's a component of it. I, I agree with you. Look, I, I love jiu-jitsu. I think it's a beautiful sport. I think it's a beautiful martial art. I think it's a very practical martial art. I feel very confident having had some training in it um, as far as my ability to defend myself. But I think that there are certain elements of the culture of jiu-jitsu that probably limit its growth on, on the level that you'd like to see it in. Yeah. You know, and I think that some of those things have to kind of get unraveled back. Like, do we start training people beyond IBJJF rules? Well, if you're running a school and part of your sales pitch is, look how many champions I got, you want to focus on IBJJF rules. Do IBJJF rules uh, prepare you for real fights or for the UFC? Probably not. Mm-hmm. You know, if there was as mon- if there was as many people who could train in nogi competitions. You might see that, but right now, still IBJF is the is the big daddy of the, the leader with the organization yeah. for the competition. So those things are going to be taught, right? You yeah. know, they're going to be the again. You want to market yourself as a master of one, and therefore you're going to you're going to focus all your attention on jujitsu. You know, unless you bring in other instructors who can come in and teach taekwondo and capoeira and boxing and and all that. And then this is the practicality of space. Like you need a gym, you need a, you need really kind of need a, a ring if you really want to do 
proper stand up. Right. You know, like Alberto Crane, uh, who who owns Legacy in Burbank, like he's got a a, a ring. He's got a big jujitsu space. Um, he actually used to have more space, and then he converted that into an acai bowl. No syringes that I know of. Um, but you know, so the, all those things need to occur. They just it's a very myopic kind of sport, and it's a very fantastic training i love it very much but i think that it is sort of in its own world and maybe that's okay maybe it's maybe jujitsu at this stage while it's an important component of mma maybe it needs to be its own thing maybe we need to not worry or wait for the next jacare to win a world champion and sort of promote uh jujitsu as like the top martial art maybe we just need to enjoy what gordon ryan is doing over in like ADCC or or uh, you know Eddie does Eddie Bravo still doing combat jiu-jitsu? Yeah, I think he recently had one or IBI EBI rather or something like that. Yeah, EBI Eddie Bravo Invitational all nogi competition. Um, Those are fun. Those are fun to watch, man. Like yeah. the combat jiu-jitsu and then also like the EBIs. Yeah, I don't know how often those are going on right now. I, I used to really I used to go to them all the time. Yeah, they used to be right LA, here in LA downtown. downtown. LA. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I still, when I get a chance, if I know something's on, depending on who's competing, yeah, I, I don't miss it. I try to watch it because I find grappling to be really entertaining, right? I like, agree. um, like the metamorphs, like the big super fights that they would have. Like, yeah. I, would, I would be, you know, depending who was it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. I think I think the jujitsu in and of itself is a beautiful science. And I know, and I and I think that if those kind of programs could get onto uh, more more coverage and more platforms that uh, more eyeballs see, right? If it I just do can, see that there's a lot of money going into it now, which is great. Yeah, before there wasn't. Now no, there was you no see money. like who's number one. There's like all these different organizations that are like paying athletes, which yeah. is nice. But yeah, if there can be more manscape. Yeah, and, if you and can get more BJJ soap, <laughs> everything. If you can get more of those, um, I just I think as a just knowing and practicing jujitsu, it's fun to watch that. Like I I would actually prefer to watch that over like a UFC. Yeah, you know what I mean. Just because it's like I know that it's pure. Like as yeah. far as just that art, it's not like mixing boxing yeah. and kickboxing. Yeah, e- EBIs like, in my opinion were the best. Yeah, they're, they're by far what Eddie Bravo was doing with the EBIs. If he's still doing them, those are the most fun. Polaris is fun too. Um, what was the one Shell had? I, Submission I Underground. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember. That was okay. I was listening to something recently where they were talking about I can't remember what podcast it was or who it was to be honest with you, but they were talking about. The one thing that I didn't like also was uh, the overtime rounds for EBI. Do you remember that? Like, oh, where, where they had the like, they would uh, start with their back. I taken. didn't mind that. I said like, I, I did mind it because it. Um, I think the conversation came up with like no time limit or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. The the reason why I didn't really enjoy it is because it also became a game as well. It also became very technical. Right. You know, like if you go first, like you, it, it's just like anything else. If it falls within the rule set, it, it's clean. Yeah. But is it really entertaining? Is it really showing who's the best? Well, that's you know, a tri- like- that's 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 always going to be our argument for anything that becomes a sport. Yeah. Because if it comes becomes a sport, it needs rules. Yeah. Like I remember at one point Rogan was talking about the only fair way to do like the UFC would be like the ring to be the size of like a football field. You know, like you need to fully be able to run around and like, you know, like anytime you add any sort of restriction, like once you decide that the octagon can only be 18 feet, that's not in a real fight. In a real fight, you're not confined to 18 feet, right? You might be confined to four feet because of necessity, but you're not inherently, you know, there's no, 
there's just once you start introducing rules, mm-hmm. it's just it starts to become a different thing, and it just has to be for longevity. You can't have people stomping people's nuts and poking yeah. their eyes out and shit. It's it's more of like what are you gonna do that's within the rules to win? Yeah, and I feel like that's why a lot of people didn't really find GSP entertaining because he was doing just what he needed to do to win and it wasn't exciting yeah. quote unquote you know I love to watch GSP fight man there's all yeah. it's just it's technical right it's all technical and I can see why people didn't really like his style right yeah but he was doing what he needed to do to win and it's not always fun well, the- and that's what I find I, I just I'm a fan of like pure jujitsu. Yeah. so like the option of no time limit is exciting when it needs to be right there's well, other matches I, I can't remember the it was i think it was this year and i can't remember what match was going on i think it was the event where uh gordon went against felipe pena oh yeah, yeah. and there was like a side match that was still going on yeah while their match was going on because they kept and i think they went for like three hours or two hours yeah see that's like, the thing it's like it's yeah. like like there are very few people whom i want to see no time limit yeah gordon ryan is one of them yeah they, that's about it There's I mean a, like you know like there, anyone else like you just you can't sit and watch guys do it for three hours that's yeah. a football game yeah you know without timeouts there's like, a really timeouts, there's a really good video that I saw um a while back where and I think it was Gordon against Cyborg Abreu. okay yeah and John Donaher was giving the breakdown oh, you wow. watch this video no he but- was giving the breakdown of what he was doing to get the finish yeah god he was giving it with such precise detail yeah and like as he was giving the explanation i think like i think it might have been on the rogan podcast and i think what they were doing is like joe or whoever was they would stop it every couple seconds and he'd be like okay see here his left Uh, knee blah 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 and and it was just so beautifully told man. well because all all john donaher does is sit and watch like jujitsu he only (laughs) got the tv so that he can watch back yeah. yeah It's pretty crazy. I mean, there, there's there are levels of dedication to this, and it's the kind of martial art that you do have to be dedicated to, and you have to put the time into. And and it, de- um, it definitely also for anyone that is not familiar with jujitsu, who's interested in jujitsu, you have to develop a healthy obsession for it because jujitsu, I can say from experience, from personally and from people that I know, as I'm sure that you're aware, is also is that. Jiu-jitsu is extremely addictive. Yeah. It's extremely addictive. You want to train when you're hurt. You you think about jiu-jitsu all the time. You want to be training all the time. Um, you have to develop like a healthy obsession for it. Yeah. I didn't I don't think I did that in the beginning. I was training all the time. It does affect relationships. It sure. does affect it, it affects a lot. So you have to develop a healthy obsession for it but to go back to John Donaher, yes. You, yeah. You uh, can truly become obsessed and it have it have it just totally consume you 100%. where you want to break it down and you want to know everything you want to be there you don't want to miss anything so yeah. alright so as we wrap this up gun to your head what's your go to submission wrist lock wrist lock I don't even have to think about it nice <laughs> what about you nice uh, I would have said an ankle lock at one point but I really I really love I really love a guillotine there's something about having someone's head I don't know what it is. It's not it's not the ideal position to be in most often, but there's just something about having that you know, where the head goes, the body goes. Mm-hmm. And I think I like that control. I like to be able to like seize that and feel like feel myself, my muscles squeezing. 
tightening the ankle lock it's a little harder to tell always you know like you're, you're looking for reaction but when you have them you you can feel it you can feel when you're in the right position you can feel when your muscles hitting that cardiac artery you can feel when you're when you know that they're about to go limp like that you just have you're just tapped in in a way that you don't always get from some other positions and um it's a good scramble move you know so that's probably my I go to you. Nice. Well, Chris, thank you, dude, for thank coming on the podcast. We're going to go see Ramon's ex yes, right after this. We're going to see Davey Havoc performing Ramon's songs, but straight edging them, I guess. I don't know. Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, but thanks so much for coming on the podcast, thank man. You. Thank uh, you. Hopefully, we get to roll together soon. Let's uh, do it. Train. It's been a long time for me, and my neck's finally feeling healthy, so I want to get back into that. And uh, who knows, man? Maybe next time we have you on, we'll be. I'll be back in regular training, and we'll be training against each hopefully. other. And Iron Sharpens Iron. So, all right. Thanks, brother. Have a good night. I want to thank Chris once again for coming on the podcast, being so gracious with his time, sharing his personal story, his perspectives, his insights. You know, when someone has trained for as long as Chris has at anything, much less jujitsu, it there's there is truly a mastery that can can be created. You know, the 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 often overused but nevertheless very true uh, saying that it's better to practice. 10,000 of one kicks than than to practice 10,000 kicks, right? To, to truly gain a mastery. And that's one of the things that's very unique about jiu-jitsu for me is that so much time has to be put into it in order for you to be recognized in the belt, in the way that the belt system works um, as having garnered a certain mastery over that particular level. There's a lot of parallels that can be drawn to any spiritual practice, especially in the world of uh, esoteric spirituality, magic, etc., where there are grading systems one thing that one thing that I find in parallel is that the amount of time and consistently consistency and commitment that one needs to put in in order to really start seeing the benefits of every practice. So whether you're learning um, mount position in jujitsu or you're learning the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram in magic, the time you put into it, the amount that you incorporate it into your everyday life is going to reflect what you get out of it. I see people all the time in different spiritual practices and I look at their lives and it looks like they're could just be couch potatoes and that they're doing nothing beyond what the average mundane person is doing. And they're in terms of looking at their life and seeing as it as a reflection of their practice. And certainly we all have uh, hills and valleys when it comes to practices of any sorts, be it physical or spiritual or mental. Um, some days we'll be feeling on top of the earth and really motivated and consistent and really engulfed in the passion for whatever this particular thing is. And sometimes we'll get very lackadaisical about it. Some days we'll be tired. Some days we'll just not feel the love that we felt at one point. It happens to everyone. But in every instance, what I have found is what you put into it equals what you get out of it. And so I think that we should spend more time talking about balance and strengthening oneself in in ways beyond just the spiritual. Whether that means you undertake lifting weights to strengthen your body physically, whether it means you change your diet so that you eat more healthily, so you're not living a sedentary, um, unhealthy lifestyle, whether you're uh, challenging yourself mentally by reading books that test your beliefs, your thought processes, that maybe have words you can't quite understand or pronounce. Trust me, I above all people know how difficult certain words are to pronounce. Speaking ironically because I do a podcast, is not my strength in life. I have had to fight very hard to try to 
pronounce things in a proper way and enunciate in a clear manner because I just had some speech issues growing up. And so, uh, you know, you have to work extra hard for that, but you don't do that. You don't get to that point where you're very happy with the way you speak unless you challenge yourself, unless you have people correct you, unless you have people said point out when things are mispronounced, when you when you um, have a thought process that's shallow or not well thought out or not well developed, when your physical state is, is like I said earlier, sedentary, it's lax, it's, you've got a gut, you've got a, your ache, bones you're 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 not you can't run for very long without losing your breath like these are all things that should be part of the process of us trying to constantly be better tomorrow than we were today spend all day long doing magic and that's fantastic you can spend all day long reading books on theory and that's fantastic you can spend all day long learning philosophy and that's fantastic you can spend all day long meditating and that's fantastic but to ignore one aspect of yourself creates imbalance. And I personally have found that jujitsu is one of those ways that you can draw your physical body back into that balance with the other aspects of your life that you might be putting work into. I said earlier in this podcast that every uh, paraphrasing uh, another Joe Rogan, who's a black belt under um, Eddie Bravo, that every time you tap out, it's like admitting death. And so in jujitsu, without potentially uh, incurring serious damage or, or concussion issues that you might from sparring in a striking discipline. In jiu-jitsu, you can die a thousand deaths, a million deaths, and and push your limits and understand where those limits are and understand when it's time to concede and when it's time to push and get uncomfortable. That is something very unique to jiu-jitsu. Having the pressure, the physical pressure of someone on top of you or being in a compromising position and learning yourself, learning where your lines are and, and when and it's suitable to push beyond that threshold and when it's time to admit that you've just been caught. It's humbling. It is cathartic. It is maturing. And I believe that the the level of control that one gains over one's body when you engage in a discipline like jiu-jitsu is uh, invaluable. Strong mind, strong spirit, strong body. That's what I think what we should all be striving for um, and pushing ourselves to be stronger, better, more balanced tomorrow than we are today. That's the goal always. So I want to thank Chris again for coming on the podcast and sharing his perspectives and his journey as it relates to jiu-jitsu. I want to thank you all for being patient with me as I'm getting over an illness uh, and this busy, crazy holiday season. I appreciate you all. Thank you so much for listening. Love you all. Hope you have a wonderful holiday, no matter what you celebrate or if you celebrate at all, uh, take this season to be appreciative. We can all celebrate that. And uh, thank you all because I'm very appreciative to you. So until next week, when I return, Gold rings on you all. Happy holidays. Love you. Take care.